0: Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. It is the Project Horse Podcast. I'm Jake Lund, all joined here with my brother Luke. Today we're going to be talking about how to correct kind of an interesting buddy sourness, gate sourness type issue at home that many horse owners face, and we've gotten some questions on this recently. We thought we would address it in kind of a creative way that a lot of people might not even consider, kind of building on the previous episode where we talked about kind of an interesting way to round-pin horses that you're starting out under saddle, that you're starting in your training, how to round-pin multiple horses at once, and just going along with this theme we have of thinking outside the box and being a thinking horseman. Then we're going to continue building on our advanced stopping discussion. We've been talking a ton in the past few episodes about preparation, how we like to set horses up to stop confidently and successfully, But we also understand that while we believe preparation is incredibly important, there's still going to be bad habits that come up every so often. So today we'll be more focused on the troubleshooting angle and how to correct different issues within the stop itself, leaning on the actual rundown phase, a horse being real bracy and not wanting to be smooth and stop well up front, as well as a horse that stops crooked. We're going to be breaking down corrections that you can make to start addressing those issues. So, the question we got with this buddy sourness or gate sourness issue comes from a lady who says that she's got two horses that live in the same outdoor turnout pen. One of them she'll get on, we'll just call it horse number one. She takes horse number one out, saddles him up, gets on, and starts riding away from the barn. And horse number two is completely fine. He's just sitting in the pen, doesn't care. And horse number one that she's riding and riding away from home, he doesn't act negatively about it. So the buddy sourness issue doesn't really come up when when she's riding the first horse away, neither horse is acting negatively or being reactive and calling out to their buddy or any any sort of behavior like that. But when the roles are reversed and she rides the number two horse away from home, the number one horse, while he's in the pen just turned out loose, he just starts being really reactive, running the fence, screaming and whinnying out for his buddy. He'll kind of camp at the gate and do that jackhammer paw that horses do when they're really frustrated and angry. He'll just sit there and power paw, just pawing at the gate. And he'll generally just act really reactive and nervous and, and just being a total nutbag out there in the pen uh, and real reactive and buddy sour. And so this lady was thinking, well, this only happens when I ride this one specific horse away from the pen. What can I do to address this? And we really got the idea to cover this issue because I had heard another trainer answer a similar question and the advice that was given was kind of along the lines of get your stick and string, your training stick and string, go in, stand by the gate when the reactive behavior starts. You know, you can have an assistant ride the horse away or something. And when the reactive behavior starts, you know, when this horse is running the fence and coming up to the gate all nervous, put some pressure on him, use that stick and string, drive the horse away, and make that feel uncomfortable and make the gate be an uncomfortable place. And while we feel that's kind of headed in the right direction in terms of philosophy and how to approach, there's in our opinion more effective ways you can root out an issue like this. There's actually two and we we gave her two different options. There's an easy way and a hard way. The easy way takes a little bit longer, etc., but if you're not as confident of a rider, this would be the option that you should take. And then there's the hard way that's a little bit more difficult, but it gets results pretty much immediately. So let's talk about the easy way first of all. This involves revisiting the round pin exercise, but kind of modifying the setup and how you approach it to work to your advantage.
1: Now I feel that, I guess before we get into it, we need to clarify easy and hard. And what we're talking about when we say the easy way to fix the problem, we're not saying that it's, say, the quicker way or more productive way as it is. The easier way for the handler of the horse, depending on their ability level. So if they're not a very confident rider or they're not really confident with their tools, then this is the easier approach to go about it. But it is the less effective approach. Now, make no mistake, it'll still get the job done, but it is less effective than what we would call the quote unquote hard way. And the hard way is just meaning you have to be, you have to have your, your wits about you. You have to be a confident rider. You have to be confident with your tools. You have to be able to go in there. Know how much pressure to apply, how to direct, you know, how to have multiple things working at once. So, um, you kind of have to just pick your poison in a way, depending on being honest about your skill set as a rider or as a handler. But in both of these scenarios, we're going to mention it's recommended you
0: get somebody to help you. You can get away, especially this first method that we're going to talk about, you can get away with doing this yourself, but it really helps if you've got someone there. To just lend you a hand, somebody knowledgeable about horses that's confident to be around them. Uh, it's going to make your job way easier and make this all work much better. But the first way you could approach this is you take the horse that is the one that's the culprit, the one that's running the fence, the one that's screaming and hollering, pawn at the gate, the one that's buddy sour. You put him in the round pin, and you yourself, the handler, you just kind of wait outside the round pin with a stick and string as your helper brings the other horse into the vicinity of the round pin. Now, if you're working by yourself, you can set it up to where the culprit is in the round pin, and then you bring the other horse that's like the trigger or the bait horse, let's say. You bring the bait horse nearby and tie him, not to the round pin fence itself, obviously, but if you can tie nearby, it kind of works. But again, having a helper makes it so much easier. You can have that helper bring the horse over and start baiting that buddy
1: sour behavior. Right. And I think it's important to make the distinction, too, that you obviously you never want to tie it to the round pin fence itself. And you want to find somewhere solid. Let's say that it was set up in a way that your round pin was located next to a solid fence that you could tie. But I wouldn't tie that horse up, the bait horse, so to speak, up solid to that fence. If you had some sort of a device like a tie ring, That you could loop the rope through and so the horse could pull back and there's still pressure. But instead of hitting a solid fence, there would be some give. That would be ideal because the pressure that you're going to be applying with your training stick in the round pin itself could spook the horse that's the bait horse. So we got to be smart about this. And that's where having a handler would help the best because they could, if the horse gets reactive, the bait horse gets reactive outside of the round pin the handler could move that horse's feet like in between them and the round pen and you know let it have its little tantrum or hissy fit if it's spooking at it, the pressure you're applying. it could put that horse's feet to work and engage it mentally and you won't have the problem of it pulling back and hurting itself or something like that. But the whole idea here is get the handler to bring that horse up to the round pin fence like right up next to it. And as soon as that horse gets right up next to that round pin fence, the the number two horse, the bait horse, then the owner gets into the round pen, literally
0: jumps over the fence. Yes. The moment that bait horse gets up there right. and starts immediately right. moving that horse's feet and putting pressure on the one that's the buddy sour culprit. Exactly.
1: Get in there immediately and hustle, 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 move, move, move. Hustle those feet. Left, right, left, right. You know, get it going one direction, redirect his feet, get out in front of it, send it the other direction. And as you're round pinning the horse, be conscious of which side of the pin the bait horse is on and which side he's not. Just to draw a mental picture, we'll say, theoretically, the bait horse is on the west side of the round pin, right? What you're going to do, in addition to hustling his feet around that round pin and redirecting his feet, you're going to apply pressure on that west side, that half of the pin, you're going to apply pressure, and you're going to release that pressure on the east half of, if you chop the round pin right down the middle and you had east and west, west half, you're going to light a fire under that horse's tail. East side of the round pin, you're going to turn him loose and let him be. West side, hustle, hustle, hustle. East side, turn loose and let him be. So you're connecting. Not only are you hustling his feet and putting him to work when his buddy is next to you in the pin, but when he's on that side where his buddy is, extra work, okay? So you're going to hustle and move those feet and redirect those feet for five to ten minutes. And then when the horse is on the opposite side of the pin from his the bait horse, you're going to step out in front and get that horse to stop. So he stops on the opposite side of the pin as a bait horse. And then you, the handler, are going to hop out of the pin while your helper leads that bait horse away, say 50, 60, maybe 70 feet away from the round pin. And then you're going to stop and you're going to let both horses rest and air up. Now you're going to wait as the horse airs up. You're going to wait for one of two things to happen. You're going to wait for either the number one horse, the one that's the problem that's in the round pin. You going to wait for that horse to start acting up and getting impatient and like, oh, where's my buddy? And start, and start pacing the fence again or whinnying out or whatever. Or you're going to wait for, say, 10 minutes. So you've given the horse a chance to act up. Nothing's really happening. And even after 10 minutes, if the horse, the, the number one horse has not reacted, hasn't whinnied, pawed, whatever, even if that hasn't happened, if you did it one time, you have ingrained absolutely nothing. So regardless of whether the bad behavior starts up again, you know, the horse thinks that when his buddy leaves, oh, my goodness, come back, I'm going to die, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks that when his buddy comes back, oh, thank goodness you're back, I'm safe. No, we're going to flip that. We're going we're gonna to equate his buddy approaching his pen as, man, I lose weight. I get out of air. I started looking for a rest real fast because you're hard work. I don't want you around me. And so we're trying to flip the script and we want to equate his buddy leaving with, Oh, thank goodness! Now I can relax finally. I'm left alone. You doing that just once is going to do nothing. This is going to require repetition, and we call this the easy way because you're on the ground and you have there's less things to manage. but it is less effective than the way we'll talk about here in a second because there's a bit of a disconnect between his buddy outside of the fence and him in the round pen. That's why you've got to have enough consistency
0: and repetition, and you've got to do this with enough intensity. To make a statement in the horse's mind because it isn't as effective inherently. So you've really got to up the
1: ante here and put a lot of pressure on the horse. So after 10 minutes or the horse in the round pen starts to act up and paw or whinny or whatever, you have your helper bring that, that bait horse up to the round pen and then you as the handler hop back in and immediately put that horse's feet to work. Now, you as the handler, I probably... I would not go with your helper that fifty sixty seventy feet. I would hang around i'd I'd get away from the round pin, say fifteen to twenty feet, but that said, there's no need for you to be walking that whole distance as well, and we're connecting it. this is working on his buddy leaving, not you as the handler, so there's no need for you to be disappearing from the situation or getting farther and farther away. You can kind of hang around the pin so you're ready to put that horse's feet to work, but you do not put the horse's feet to work until the handler, the helper, I'm sorry, gets that bait horse back to the round pin. So if the horse starts to whinny and paw, that whole time that that helper is hustling back to the round pin with the bait horse, you can't touch him. You can't do anything. Because then it will disconnect his buddy from work with
0: the horse in the round pin. It makes you the bad guy in that case. Exactly. We want this to, we want him to
1: associate that pressure and hustle with his homie coming back up to the fence. Exactly. So as soon as that, that bait horse gets up to the fence, then bang, gloves off, you come in the pen and immediately put those those horse's feet to work. And you just repeat the same process. Hustle, 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 move, 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 redirecting those feet, putting pressure on the side of the round pen where the bait horse is, taking it off where he's not. And then after you've gone five to 10 minutes, once the horse, is, the horse in the round pen is on the opposite side from where his buddy is at, stop him, get out of the pen while the helper leads that horse away, but this time farther now. So if you were at 60 feet, maybe go 75, maybe 80. And you're going to say every time you do this, you're going to go farther and farther and farther. Now, the first day that you do this, I would say you have to do it at least five times, any less than that. And you really have not ingrained that habit. And it's just going to take you longer and longer to fix. Now, this is something that you have to say, okay, I've got three, four days in a row that I can fix this. And you're going to have to do this every single day, five times a day for, say, three or four days. And it would be great if you could do this multiple times a day, like five of five times in the morning, five times in the evening. You know, if you could, the more you can do this, it's like the more times you can practice this, the more money in the bank. It might seem to be extreme here,
0: but you do need to have, like I said before, you've got to make a statement in some way and get this horse jolted out of the reactive habits that he or she has been in. And the longer that this has been going on, you know, we've seen this get bad enough in some cases where horses are running back and forth, screaming and squalling, smashing themselves into the gate. Like, it gets completely out of control. And when it's to that level, you've got a big problem on your hands, and it's not something that's going to go away in one session. So we're exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. Like, you really do need to make a concerted effort here. This isn't something that you just do on a random Sunday afternoon and call it good after one repetition. Exactly. I would rather
1: have a tired horse in the round pen than an injured or dead horse out in the pasture because he was acting like a fool and wasn't paying attention and say, Reared up and came down and got his leg hung up in a fence and struggled and broke it or or some just craziness you know running down the fence and tripping and falling and hitting his head on a post. Who knows what could happen and so I would rather avoid that problem and fix it by losing a little bit of sweat and hurting for some air than actually have something physically wrong happen to my horse just because he's acting like a fool out in the pen.
0: And before we move on to the other uh, method that we wanted to get across that's a little bit more creative, I just want to say that in talking about problems like this, there's this trend, especially trainers, to go into monologues about how horses are naturally herd-bound, this is natural behavior, horses are reactive prey animals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And all of that's true. Like, this quote problem as we see it is just the horse's natural herd-bound nature and reactive prey animal nature coming out and kind of being amplified in a way that can cause problems for us or lead to dangerous situations you know so yeah it's natural tendency but my question to my response to that is and i mean it's a natural behavior that is kind of getting out of control and causing problems here and horses are creatures of habit and they're malleable they're trainable this is a behavioral pattern this is a habit that we can change if we make the right effort to do this you know horses Being reactive prey animals, they're very much like teenagers who think they will, quote, literally die if they can't, you know, go to the party or be with their friends or basically get what they want, right? And you have to show them that, no, you're not going to literally die if your buddy leaves if I take him to go riding out on the trail. It's not a life-threatening scenario. You know, you don't need to create such a mountain out of a molehill. But the only way to get the horse to engage the thinking side of his brain is to move his feet. And in an intense way like this, that makes him realize, oh, that that just causes more work for me. That causes more problems. That causes more pressure. You know, I really don't need to be around this horse every second of the day. And if he leaves, it's not really that big of a deal. But the only way to get inside a horse's head and and get them to engage the thinking side of their brain and realize that is to put pressure on them, is to move their feet, is to fill their mind with something that you're in control of, rather than just letting their reactive prey animal brain dictate how this scenario is going to go. So some people might look at what we're doing here and think it's extreme. And to be quite honest, if a horse is calling out to its buddies or whatever, maybe even pacing the fence a little bit. Oftentimes, is it a severe enough problem that we're going to go out of our way to fix it like this? No. So, to those listening, it's simply a question of what are you willing to put up with? Are you willing to put up with the horse just kind of whinnying out to his pasture pals? Are you willing to put up with him running the fence? Are you willing to put up with him racing around, working himself up into a lather, screaming, pawing the ground, running into the fence? Like, How bad does it have to go before you're going to take that necessary step? So that's what you have to ask yourself. But let's get into the second way here, or the harder way, because it requires a little bit more riding ability, a little bit more hand-eye coordination, uh, more skill. You've got to have a horse that is really well desensitized on the ground and under saddle to things like ropes, plastic bags, and the stick and string, of course, because you'll be using it from the saddle. You know, there's a lot of different ways that some trainers will work horses, especially young colts and stuff. From the back of another horse, an older horse, one that's more seasoned. And that's kind of what we're going for here. But if you don't have a horse that's broke enough to do this, don't try it because it's going to be a complete disaster. But if you have enough control and you're a confident enough rider with some skill and a little bit of guts, you can get this done and it's going to take much less time than the first way that we just laid out where you're in the round pin.
1: Yes, so to start it off, again, you're going to want your helper. And they're going to be running the gate for you. And this way is harder, like you mentioned, because you need some control. You need to be a good rider and in control of your tools and in control of your reins and aware of the situation, able to multitask from the saddle. But this, the connection between the problem horse and the one you're riding is going to be very obvious to the problem horse. Like There's no disconnect whatsoever. You're both in there together, and he's getting hustled around By the horse that he had this crush on, that he was in love with and couldn't bear to part with. And so it's going to be very obvious to him that, oh, this guy actually, I don't don't like him so much anymore. He's not as fun as I thought he would be. This guy turns out to be a lot more work than I figured. So the principle is basically the same as the round pin method for the most part. You're going to start out by baiting the problem horse, so to speak, by riding, starting at the gate and riding away. Now your helper who's going to be running the gate and letting you in and out, they need to have a training stick and preferably a string on it as well, because they're going to need to be able to drive the problem horse away so they can open the gate and let you in. So you're going to ride your horse away, the the horse that creates this problem when you leave, and you're going to keep riding away from the from the pin until the horse that's been giving the problems starts to rat himself out and act up, calling out, running the fence pawing, whatever it may be. The moment that happens, you wheel around. Remember the spot that's happened, first of all. Wheel around and hustle back to the gate. If you can lope back through that gate, lope back through that gate, or at least jog. But you don't want to just walk and take your time, because too much time has passed. And the more time it takes for you to get from that point back to the pin, the weaker that connection is of what we're trying to get across to the other horse. So turn around, wheel around, hustle back into that pen. Have your helper ready with their training stick and string to drive the problem horse away so they can swing that gate wide open and you get in there. As you get in that gate, you need to be ready with your training stick to drive that problem horse away because you need to expect that that problem horse is going to try to suck up to his buddy. And so that puts you as a rider in a dangerous situation if you let him get up to you like that. So have that stick and string ready to drive that problem horse away so you can get him on his heels and on the run and start chasing him. And then the, the basically the program is the same as the round pin. Hustle, hustle, hustle those feet and change directions repeatedly. And if that tail is within spanking distance, what do you do? You spank it. You're trying to drive this horse away and make him really uncomfortable when his buddy is around. You're trying to turn up that heat and make it really uncomfortable when the horse that he thought was his his savior turns out to be anything but that, you know, and you need that horse to realize that his buddy only equals a lot of sweat and a lack of air, a, a great need for air, basically. So, and this is actually kind of a, a double whammy, this exercise, because you're actually working both horses at the same time, and you really almost address the buddy sour issues, say if you were riding, if a friend got on your other horse and you were riding together, you actually address the buddy sour ratio as well, because what are we doing? We're working both horses together, and we're going to be resting them apart. So you actually get two things done at once, but more importantly, we're just focused on the other horse going crazy when you take the one away. So after you've hustled this horse around for five to ten minutes, changing directions frequently, basically round pinning him in that big open pasture, you're going to send him to the far end of the arena, or pasture, whatever. You don't have to follow him all the way to the corner, but you just try to Time it so that you send the horse off and, you know, maybe with one last parting spank on the, on top of the tail and you send him running in the direction of the far end of the, of the pin. As that happens, your gate helper who needs to be watching this and paying attention, not videoing it or laughing, they may be watching and aware of when you're about to break off from the chase and then have that gate ready to open and you haul ass out of the pin and they close the gate behind you. And now you go back to the point where the problem started, and then a little bit farther, if you are at seventy feet, go seventy or go eighty five ninety feet now, and stop and let both horses rest. I wouldn't turn and, and have your horse facing the horse in the pasture. I'd keep his hindquarters turned away from the pasture from his buddy, the one that you're on, and wait there until just like in the round pinning, one of two things happens either ten minutes or the one in the pasture starts to act up again. When that happens, either, either way, 10 minutes or the buddy or the one starts to act up. You turn around, hustle back into that pen and repeat the same thing. Now, this is much more effective than the other because again, you're addressing the horses together in the pen and it's an immediate connection. It's like they're together and there's absolutely zero doubt in the horse's mind who is putting the pressure on him and who does he not want to be around and, and he loves it when he's left alone. So either way, though, it's just a matter of repetition. You've done once. You've done it once. Even if after ten minutes nothing's happening, that doesn't matter. You have to do it several times, at least three, four times this way, this particular method on the first session, and repeat it for at least three days in a row. And repetition is going to be your greatest ally here. That consistency in order to break this habit. Now, one uh, trouble spot that people get into with this. Is they do it one day and say they did it four times in the first day, either the round pinning method or chasing the horse around. Either way, they do it one day, they do four sessions, and then they go ride that horse, the one that when they leave causes the other horse problems. They go off ride. Well, while they're gone, they can hear it whinnying and screaming and hollering, and they know in their mind that it's pawing and running the fence and acting like a fool. And they get frustrated. They're like, where was that when I was there working on this? You know, I got 150 feet away from the pin and nothing happened. Now I'm gone and I can just hear him out there just getting away with it. Well, the fact that he's getting away with it is irrelevant. It's what you do when you get back that is going to be the clincher. So just because you worked on it before that first day and you, fit, you got it better, you were able to get farther and farther away without that horse acting up. If you go off to ride and that problem resurfaces, which it should, because this has been a long-standing problem, all that matters is when you get back from that ride, what do you do about it? Do you just ignore it, unsaddle that one horse, and tie him up for a few, you know, thirty minutes to an hour, and then put him back in the pen with his buddy? Or the moment that his buddy returns, you know, with uh, good tidings to his buddy buddy out in the pasture, the moment he returns, if you go right into that pen and immediately put that horse to work that's been acting up in the pasture, then That horse never got away with any sort of a bad behavior because you capped off the ride by, hey, I'm back. Guess what? Time for more work. Right? You didn't finish it off by, hey, I'm back, and guess what? You get to go go off together and you know watch the sunset and eat some grass and relax. No. When I come back, it equals more work. When your buddy comes back, it just equals more work. So however it acts while you're gone, all that matters is when you come back that you do something about it. You do at least one more session of either the round pinning or chasing them around on your horse.
0: Okay, let's get into our advanced horsemanship segment. We've been talking a lot about stopping, and this is going to tie in to the overall system we've presented as far as the preparation that we like to go through, getting a horse to stop really well, confidently, and relaxed. Inevitably, though, No matter how much preparation you do, issues and habits are going to come up, whether you're schooling an older horse or you're teaching a young one, there's just very, there's kind of a list of typical mistakes that horses are going to make when you start your stopping program or if you're trying to correct issues on the rundown. So today we're going to talk about three things. The first two kind of go hand in hand. We're going to talk about leaning issues on the rundown and stopping crooked. These are very closely related, so I'm gonna have Luke break that down a little bit more for us, and then we'll get into a horse being real bracy up front, locking up their front legs, jamming them into the ground instead of staying loose and free uh, and smooth,
1: going to the ground like they need to. At this stage of the game, this would be problems that we run into that need addressing. Like a very green colt that's had say three, four months of work with this. No, I'm not gonna be over concerned with this whatsoever. I'm still gonna be keeping a light amount of pressure on the reins and helping him all the way down to the stop. And if he's leaning a little bit left or right, I'm just going to compensate with the reins and just help him straighten up so that I can show him where he needs to go. And, and most horses catch on to that, and as a general rule, that roots out most of your problems. But this is for the horses that seemed that in doing this, they just chronically seem to be leaning left or right, and it's hurting your stopping as well because they are not you're not able to get them straight in the rundown especially as you add speed it seems like their confidence leaves them or they kind of check out and they just start to just lean on their own at this point i would have addressed say your typical causes of leaning which would be like a magnet toward the barn or toward the gate if i have that type of a problem then i'm going to abandon my rundown and go fix that problem directly by working the horse say over near the gate maybe doing some rollbacks or something, and then resting on the opposite side. There's no sense in fighting with my horse in the rundown when we have a problem with the horse sucking back to the gate or to the barn. I need to go immediately address that. Maybe I need to to step away from my stopping for two or three days to get it done. But I would rather that than just fight through it here stopping my horse. Address the root cause instead of just beating up on the horse because I'm too lazy to go over and address the problem that's actually going on. So, if we do have a horse that's leaning in the rundown now, and that we have been slowly increasing the speed, increasing the speed, and our horses are getting a lot more advanced with our stopping, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start incorporating a correction that I would make if I was going to run the horse down one-handed. So, let's say the horse, just for the sake of, of demonstrating it, is leaning to the left as we're running down the pen. So, once I feel that horse leaning to the left... The first thing I'm going to do and I'm still riding the horse two-handed at this point I'm not I, I'm not riding the horse one-handed once I feel them leaning to the left I'm going to use my left rein and lay it across their neck just a bit as if I were to straighten them up if I was riding one-handed so I'm just going to ask them to straighten up by laying that rein slightly and they shouldn't have I mean this should not come out of the blue to the horse because we should have been doing a lot of work throughout our steering and our loping and our jogging to where they have a relatively decent idea of what the neck rein means anyways. So I'm going to lay that rein across their neck, and I'm going to ask the horse to straighten back up. If nothing happens, I'm going to go ahead and pull that horse into the ground and right into a turnaround. So I'm not going to pull both reins to the side and spiral them down into a turn. It's like I'm pulling both the reins back towards me first and then immediately directing them towards my inside hip, the direction I want to spin the horse. So in this case, it would be to the right because the horse has been leaning to the left throughout the rundown. And I'm going to turn the horse around, keeping him relatively straight. And the reason I'm keeping him straight here in this turnaround is because I'm trying to get that shoulder off of that neck rein and over where it should have been, because he completely ignored that correction. The more I bend him, the more I'm naturally pushing out the shoulder to the outside, and I'm pushing it into my outside rein, the more I bend that neck. So I'm going to keep that neck straight, and I'm going to turn him around until I feel that shoulder move the way it should. Now once it does, then I can go ahead and lope back, take his time and just lope back in the direction where I started. round the corner, I could soften him up on a circle down there, and then I'll go ahead and begin my rundown again. And I'll do this same process again. I'll let him make the mistake, and I'll give him a very simple way out of it. I'll ask him to correct it by himself, and if he does, perfect. But if he doesn't, then I'll go ahead and pull him into the ground. I'm not going to jerk his face and yank him into the ground. I'm just going to take a hold of him, pull him into the ground, and then turn him around the opposite direction that he was leaning. This is not something that you have to be super, super aggressive with, especially in the beginning, because it's very easy. And I say this correction with caution, because we are getting pickier about what, what is happening here. And this correction can be easily taken out of context, because you can easily make your horse worried about the imminent correction because you've been way too aggressive with how you pulled him into the ground and how much you kicked on him when you were spurring him around. We don't want to make him so worried about the correction that he forgets about why we're making the correction, right? So we need to use our heads about how hard we pull on the reins, how hard we kick the horse. We're just using just enough pressure to show the horse, hey, I don't want you leaning over there. When I lay this rein here, you need to take that seriously. And that's what that comes down to. You need to take this neck rein seriously when you're leaning. Now, if you do get in the position where you went overboard and you've ruined the horse's confidence, and now when, when you build speed, the horse starts to run off and they lean even more like they're escaping, then you need to back off the speed, go back to running the horse down, breaking them down to a jog 20-30 feet off the fence, jogging up to the fence, jogging three or four circles, and doing that again. And just repeat that rundown exercise to build that horse's confidence again and get them to realize that there's nothing to be worried about. They're just running to a point of relaxation. If you are smart with your feel and timing and the amount of pressure used in this correction, it'll be a valuable way to not only teach the horse how to handle one-handed and fix a mistake one-handed in the moment, but you'll be able to more effectively correct the leaning and root out the the real issue of that shoulder Bowing out against whichever rein the the horse is leaning, whichever particular direction the horse is leaning, they're pushing out against that rein, and so you can get them off of that rein and get them to respect that rein and stay where you put them on your rundown. So tying into that would also be a horse that stops crooked. Again, it's kind of the same thing. When they go into the ground, their body usually it means that they weren't straight to begin with in your stop in your rundown. Sorry, when the horse isn't straight in the rundown, how are they going to correct that? as they go into the ground for the stop, right? Well, the correction is virtually the same thing in the stop as it is in the rundown. If I've got a horse that stops and they're kicking their hindquarters out, they're still getting into the ground nice, but they're kicking their hindquarters out, say to the left, that what does that mean they're doing with their shoulders? They're running their shoulders off to the right. If the hindquarters are going left, the shoulders have to be going to the right. So we need to counterbalance that. And so in the process of the stop, As soon as I feel that start, that hip start to break loose and that shoulder start to go the wrong way, I'm not going to wait for the horse to completely get stopped and then let a second pause and then take them the opposite way. If that shoulder is already running off to the left and the hip off to the right, throughout that stop, as he goes in the ground, I'm going to feel that and I'm going to start drawing my reins to the right across his neck. And as he gets to the end of that stop, I'm going to let him smoothly melt from that stop right into the turn. I'm not going to make him in right in mid stop go right into a spin. That's impractical and impossible. But I'm going to slowly transition from the spin into the stop. So by the time he reaches the end of that stop, we have melted right into that spin. And I want to keep him, I want to keep him as straight as possible without looking the wrong way, Um, just like we did in the rundown exercise. Because the straighter he is, the more I can focus on getting that shoulder off of that outside rein. And that's really what's going on when your horse is leaning like in the rundown is they're pushing against that outside rein and your outside leg so we need to move that shoulder off of those two things in order to get him back straight underneath of you so I'll move that shoulder I'll sp- turn him around and I'm going to stay in that spin until I feel him move that shoulder I'm not just going to go in there say a turn or five turns or whatever I'm going to stay in there until I feel that shoulder get off my outside rein and my outside leg and that's really a feel call right there I can't really describe you know, and articulate it really well what that is. It's something that you have to feel things lighten up underneath of you and that front end stepping around with good energy and good cadence. After we've turned the horse around and we feel that shoulder move, you could either just lope the horse off the opposite direction or a lot of the time what I like to do is jog three or four circles in that same direction I spun the horse, just an extra little kind of a of a mental reminder to get over the opposite direction and It kind of breaks up between the spin and the loping off so that I don't have so much anxiety in the horse. I don't want to be turning the horse around and having to hold him in there because he's ready for me to lope off the opposite direction. So I may jog him around a few circles because it kind of slows things down and it forces that horse to slow down mentally and think about what's going on. You know, especially when we get to this type of level where we've got more intensity and the corrections are a lot more, you're a lot more finicky with your corrections and there's a lot more riding on every single maneuver. Um, it's very easy for the horse to get a bit scatterbrained, for lack of a better word. Like they're constantly thinking about what they're supposed to do and they can overanalyze and get really anxious. So I find that just jogging the horse three, four circles after such a correction actually just slows the horse down. Like, oh, okay. I can take a deep breath, collect myself. Okay, now I know what to do. So I'll head back to the end that I started, maybe soften the horse up on a few circles or just round the end and go down again. Now, if the horse isn't running well, I'm going to worry about that first. If, if the stop isn't good, red flags or, or red alerts are going off in my rundown. So I'm like, hmm, okay, I need to pay more attention to my rundown. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm giving something away here, or I'm letting something fall apart, or I'm holding the horse straight when I shouldn't be, and exposing that. So I challenge myself as a rider to see, okay, was I kind of protecting him here or there? Was he really leaning and I was just holding him straight? And so I'll analyze that, and, I'll, and maybe I have to just go back to my rundowns and fix them. And then my stop will take care of itself. But if not, then I'll go ahead and continue to work on my stop. And I may have to throw in a few rundowns here or there, because in going back to where we started and coming back, the horse is going to get smart about where a stop is coming. So I have to be smart about when I stop him. I may stop him short sometimes, and I may stop him long sometimes. And I may just go round the corner and not even stop on the way down. But I want to work on that, that particular direction of the arena first so I can, I can fix that problem right there. Because you have a different, like we have a left side and a right side to a horse, we have a running up the arena horse and a running down the arena horse. So one way, they may stomp on the right lead a particular way. The other way, going down the arena, the opposite way on that same lead, they may stomp a completely other, different way. So if I have a problem running up the arena on the right lead, I'm not going to go start, I'm not going to waste energy and time running down the arena on the right lead. Does that make sense? So if I run into a problem running up the arena on the right lead and they're really crooked in a stop or they're leaning really bad in a stop, well, I could definitely work on running back down the arena on the right lead, but I'm just going to be wasting energy that I could use to fix my running up on the right lead. So the last one, and again, we're going back to what we've just harped on previously, it goes back to the rundown. We, we see a lot of horses that have problems with being really bracy in their front end. And they go into the ground, and they just lock up both their front legs, and they hit the ground really hard, and it jams the rider deep into the seat, and, and it's just, a it's you know, it's not a pretty picture to see, and it's not something fun to ride either, right? So, first and foremost, from a training perspective, solely a training perspective, analyze your rundown. Am I building speed or am I maintaining my speed or am I losing speed on my rundown right before I go into the stop? So like we talked about in one of the previous podcasts about the motorboat analogy, where the, when you accelerate a speedboat, the nose goes up. When you decelerate on a speedboat, the nose dips down. So, and when you're just maintaining it, the nose just kind of floats just level. Well, when we're, when we're going to stop our horses, we need to be like that accelerating speedboat. We need to constantly be bringing that nose up. At the very worst, on an experienced horse, we could have it just floating level, but we never want that nose dipping down. And a lot, especially on younger horses, where people run into problems with the horse being very stiff and bracy on their front end, it's because they're either letting the horse slow down, or they're letting that horse just maintain a certain speed the whole way down the arena. And they have no momentum built up, which can elevate the horse's shoulders and give them a pocket to sit down that hind end underneath of them. And as from a rider's perspective, one thing that also can lead to this is the rider bracing themselves for a rough stop, and a stride or two before they actually cue the horse to stop, they actually take their legs off and sit deep and brace themselves for impact, basically, when they go to stop. And that stride or stride and a half before they actually cue to stop, the horse reads their body language, and it kind of screws up the horse's timing in itself. And so, by throwing yourself back, like a half a stride or a stride before you actually cue, you throw the horse off because it's like a it's like a fake cue. And so he's about to read that when he thinks maybe he needs to run, and then you actually cue, and he's like, "Oh crap!" And it catches him by surprise, and he's supposed to stop. And so you you're almost teaching the horse to set up on you. And even in that half a stride to one and a half stride, when you throw yourself back and brace for impact, that horse, as he sets up and he reads your body language and he slows down. In that half a stride to stride, the horse actually slows down. So you just dip that motorboat's nose right at the very crucial moment when you're actually asking to stop. It may not be significant, but that the horse reads that body language and knocks off a tick on the speedometer, and you just kind of blew your stop because you let the horse slow down. Now, some horses do it as well, just kind of genetically. Like, there is something to be said about stopping and horses that stop naturally really well and horses that don't. And so I think, you know, before addressing the second part of this in the training, it is important to realize that we do have to have realistic expectations with our horse. Some horses stop well and, and others not so much. That's the reason that breeding is so important in the reining industry. And that's why that there are so, you know, there's so many horses that enter that even make it to the fraternity and only a select few of, of that, say three, four hundred horses, only 30 actually make it to the finals, you know, because there is a definite difference, even in the well-bred horses, of ones that can stop well and ones that can't stop or don't do it quite as well. Like, there is a difference, even among the elite horses. So, we do have to be realistic about that. But, from a training perspective, this is kind of a lot like the, what we touched in earlier with our initial days of stopping. Using that turnaround to break those horses feet loose now unlike what we just talked about earlier in the turnaround we're actually going to bend the horse's head around to about 90 degrees we're not worried about the shoulder leaning or anything like that we're worried about a softness and that's why we're going to take more bend we're worried about a softness and a a suppleness through the horse's whole body so we're going to bend the horse around to 90 to give us that leverage and to try and break him loose from the neck all the way through his body but starting there at the neck and we're going to take the horse, and once they hit the ground really hard, they lock up and they slam into the ground at their front end. We're going to take them right into a turnaround smoothly, though. So a lot of people can actually create this problem by being super aggressive with their horse. Like, especially on a young colt, they're trying to teach it to stop, and it's not getting the hang of it just yet, you know, and they think that, oh, my buddy is posting YouTube videos about their two-year-old, and it's already stopping, and mine's not, and I got to get him stopping today because I need to put up YouTube videos to brag to my buddy because he's giving me crap that he hasn't seen my videos and blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes this competition. And you get really aggressive and really kind of um, harsh with your corrections and super quick. And you actually create a problem because the horse gets so worried about the correction that they forget about the actual stop itself. So that's something to keep in mind as well. But if I do have one that really aggressively or not aggressively, but that really locks the front end up and slams it into the ground when they stop. I'll take them right into that turnaround, bending that head and neck around to 90. And I'll stay in there until I feel them load up on their hind end and break loose with their front end, stepping around with cadence and with just a nice, smooth, consistent rhythm. And they feel soft through their body and in their head and neck. I'm not going to turn them around and and when I feel their feet move, just turn loose. I'm going to stay in there until I feel them step around smoothly with cadence, I feel them load up on their hind end, and I feel them just soften around laterally. Once I feel that softness laterally, then I'll go ahead and lope the horse off again, build my speed, and I'll ask for another stop. But I do my, my correction needs to be smooth. I'm going to let that turn around, and not letting him out of that turn until he gets soft and pliable through his body in that correction, I'm going to let that do the hard work for me. I'm not going to be aggressive about my correction. I'm going to be smooth about it, but making sure that as I'm doing this as i'm if I'm going to make this correction, I need to make sure that when I do speed the horse up for my stops, that I'm building speed to the stop and I'm not tipping the horse off right before the stop so basically what what we covered over these three things, there's kind of a a running theme that you should be picking up on, which is problems in the stop, um either crooked or say, being real bracy with their front end, a lot of it ties back to your rundown. And this goes back to something that we harped on very early on in one of the first podcasts was about getting a rundown and teaching a young horse how to be relaxed in a rundown and running them down, breaking them down, jogging your circles, like how important that is and not just going and galloping back and forth and just letting pure repetition teach the horse how to run down and how to stop. Like the rundown needs to be controlled. They need to be relaxed and it needs to be finessed. And the more homework you've done with the boring stuff, the more that you've done your due diligence in getting this horse quiet and relaxed and soft, but respectful off of your leg and willing for you, it's going to clear up a lot of the problems that you could potentially run into down the road.
0: Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad.
1: Thanks again for listening.